After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Please move it. Please move it. Please move it. I got to admit this. I made a mistake. I think I'm bang on this. I'm bang on. Okay, gentlemen, play ball. Watch it here. Good checking, guys. Good play. Josh, we always talk about a variety of subjects. Sometimes they're controversial, but I will tell you right now, I will not get pissy with you this week. <laughs> no, no. So I don't. I don't have to answer. I don't have to give you a, a good explanation or a, a proper answer to your your comments or questions. You always give me a, a well thought out answer, something that may encourage further debate or resolve an issue. Sometimes we even agree to disagree, but. There's never the snide back and forth as we've seen demonstrated recently. Where was it again? Oh, yes, in Edmonton. But that's because you ask good questions. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll touch on the uh, back and forth as well as a few other things on this edition of the Scouting the Refs podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. And of course, there are special savings available for you with our Manscaped partnership. Go to manscaped.com for your order Enter the promo code REFS, R-E-F-S. You get 20% off your order and you get free shipping. So while we're freezing in January, you should be thinking about heating things up in February for Valentine's Day. If you weren't one of the fortunate ones to receive a fabulous Manscaped grooming package for Christmas, now's the good time to start hinting around for Valentine's Day. Go to the website, check out the Performance Package 4.0. It's got everything you need to prepare for a very successful V-Day. The Lawnmower 4.0 works great, super sharp, super safe, prevents nicks, cuts, a high-powered LED light to help you navigate the terrain. And, you know, some people think during cold months that walking around in a wild, crazy beard, making jokes about it, saying it keeps them warm, it's not true. And if this is your grooming habit from head to toe, it's not going to help you on Valentine's Day, is it, Josh? <laughs> no, it's not. You, you don't want it to be all about you. And, and while, yes, a beard may keep you warm... It also has that insulating ability to keep things away from you and keep you from getting close. And that, I think, is the pro and con of the beard, as well as other situations that Manscaped can help you with. You don't want things getting in the way and you can use Manscaped and all the wonderful products that, that they have to help make sure that you're as close as possible. For your gift giving, go to manscaped.com. Use the promo code REFS for your purchase. Get 20% off. Get free delivery. Do it now. Please make sure you're following us on our social channels. For Josh, it's at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and on Instagram. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on both Twitter and Instagram as well. On this week's episode, Kemper gets clipped with an elbow. Drew N sticks it to Sagan. No need for that. And once again, that's not a slew foot. Also, should it have been a goal? We will get into all of these, but we should discuss maybe the Jim Matheson, Edmonton reporter, and Leon Dreisaitl exchange. We've seen coaches fined for demonstrative actions and statements this year, but I don't think I've ever seen a player get fined by the league for their actions or interactions with a media member. Do you have some thoughts on this one? I, I also don't recall that ever happening. I don't know that it would be out of the realm of possibility. I mean, it's hard to say it's unsportsmanlike conduct when it's not 
during the course of the actual game or, or pre or post game there, it's really difficult. And I'd have to really dig into the CBA and find out if they even have the ability to do it. But man, I, I would have loved to have sent both guys, Dreisaitl and Matheson, to the box, 10 minutes each. <laughs> yeah, there was, I, I don't want to lay all the blame on one or the other, as so many have been doing on social media. I would like to know the lead up to this and the the exchange. It seemed as though Dreisaitl was rather curt in his comments and answer, and understandably so. They're a frustrated team, but also by saying, you know everything, he seemed to bait Jim Matheson a little bit. And that's, I, th I think, a fair statement. Now, Jim Matheson to me is honestly he's a dinosaur. But the other part of it is you never make yourself part of the story as a reporter, and he did, and that was his mistake. Oh, you're right. Yeah, it's 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 hard when you are reporting on things. You don't want to be the thing that gets reported on. And I don't know, maybe it's just me, Todd. I do give players a certain amount of leeway. I mean, they're out there on the ice. You want them to be emotional, expressive, engaged in the game. And yeah, there's a lot of ups and downs and they feel it. And maybe that's why I, I give Dreisaitl a little more room to share his emotions or how he's feeling and hold Mathis into a little bit more of a higher standard there, journalistic integrity or just maintaining some decorum, which unfortunately didn't happen. Edmonton winning a few games will solve everything because winning <laughs> yes. solves everything, doesn't it? I think that's that's kind of way. Yeah, you okay, can, you could be pissy all you want if you put some wins in there. <laughs> Nobody's right. going to complain. That's exactly right. Okay, a strange one that you alerted me to. You you caught in the Canucks and Predators game was an uncalled high stick that may have or should have resulted in an automatic goal being awarded. Take us through this one. Yeah, this was a really interesting play. And and typically with the empty net situations, they get a little more complex. So we had Vancouver's Tyler Mott corral a loose puck in midair at center ice. So first question is, did he play it with a high stick? And there was nothing called on the ice. We saw the linesman wave that it was a clean zone entry, but he was more focused on the blue line, I think, than the height of the puck. In either case, Todd, it, it happened right at center. It looked like the puck was coming down when Mott played it. So hard to judge. It's shoulder height, and it's where the puck actually makes contact with the stick. So no whistle, no stoppage in play. We move on, and he advances into the attacking zone with an empty net where he is promptly and unceremoniously slashed by Forsberg, who's trying to prevent the empty net goal, and he did. I mean, the slash knocked Mott down. He goes crashing to the ice. The ref's arm goes up, and Forsberg heads to the penalty box, which baffled me. I know the Predators were frustrated with the call, and uh, there's two parts that they, they could have been frustrated with. I mean, obviously, the slash was a penalty. The first issue that I think they had was that the puck was played with a high stick, and whether it was or not, it was missed. Again, it, it looked borderline to me. Had Vancouver scored on the play, that would not be eligible for a coach's challenge. While it would have been a missed stoppage, it happened at center ice. It was in the neutral zone, so you can only challenge a missed stoppage in the attacking zone. So, that's out for the Predators. But that also should have been a moot point because the goal should have been awarded on the play. We had a foul on a player with an empty net and nobody between that player and the goal who was denied a reasonable scoring chance by the penalty. And Rule 57-4, it's under tripping, but the slashing rule points back to that one on justifying that the officials award a goal in that case, and they didn't. So a little surprising. We didn't get any more detail from the league, no explanation, but certainly it didn't change the outcome of the game, but that one should have been a goal, and, and that frankly left me puzzled, Todd. 
Everybody likes to pad their stats. Who doesn't want an extra goal? I don't know. We'll we'll have to wait and see what that one. Depriving the goal judge of the opportunity to hit the button. Come on. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, before we get too deep into this podcast, let's acknowledge the Boston Bruins in a really nice ceremony. Retired the number 22 of Willie O'Ree this past week. Really nice. An overdue recognition for Mr. O'Ree and all he has done for the game and accessibility and to promote equality. He led a beautiful speech from his home in San Diego. I also wanted to note, that Shandor Alfonso worked the lines during that game. There's a nice little piece on social media with he and Jay Sharers talking about Willie O'Ree and how important his breakthrough was in the NHL as well. So I, I just wanted to acknowledge that. I think that was a really nice thing to do. Yeah, it was it was great. I was excited when I saw the official assignments for the game to see that Alfonso was going to be there and to have Jay Sharers as the officiating supervisor for that one, just to have him in the building and to be part of it. Because you, you look at what O'Ree's done for players, and certainly we've heard from plenty of players around the league who saw Willie O'Ree and were inspired to play hockey and made it to the NHL. And, and you can't forget the guys who were inspired and didn't make it as players. And thankfully, we had two, Alfonso and Sharers, who made it to the league as officials, which breaking ground in their own right. Jay Sharers, the first black linesman and first black referee. I don't know if folks remember that he did wear the armbands for a few seasons there. So they were making history as well. Nice to see them as part of that ceremony because, you know, it truly was a momentous occasion and, and well, well done by the league. This is the Scouting the Refs podcast. It's brought to you by Manscaped. Special savings available for you at manscaped.com by using the promo code REFS on the checkout of your order. Receive 20% off and get free shipping. So now we've come to the question and answer point of our podcast. And my question is, how does Jordan Greenway not get suspended for running over Darcy Kemper? I don't have an answer. I do, but neither you nor Jim Matheson would be satisfied with what it is because I, it's not a good one. He should have been. Okay, so if you if you haven't seen the video yet, I'm sure most have though. In the game between the Wild and the Avalanche, Minnesota's Jordan Greenaway crosses in front of the Avalanche crease, makes significant contact with goaltender Darcy Kemper. He was not pushed nor guided in or otherwise escorted to the area. Deliberate or not, he's responsible for his actions. Kemper was removed from the game, and understandable after taking and shaking the birds away. Pavel Frankus came in. Greenway received a two-minute minor and also a bunch of right hands from Avalanche player Curtis McDermott. I think he should have been suspended. This is one of those incidents where... A video explanation from the Department of Player Safety as to why no suspension was given might be helpful. I, I absolutely agree, Todd. I thought for sure that this was going to be a suspension, even in game, for it not to be penalized as an illegal check to the head. I was a bit surprised there because it seemed apparent to me, but certainly... They call the penalty. I'll give the officials a bit of leeway there. Sometimes a shoulder to the chest for a goaltender can appear a bit different. But from a player safety standpoint, I'm looking at this play where, like you said, you've got Greenway skating across the top of the crease, making direct head contact. He had the opportunity to deliver a body check through Kemper's body. It would have still been interference. It still would have been a penalty, but at least he wouldn't have been picking the head. He also could have chosen to avoid the goaltender altogether. He didn't. He made contact with the head. To me, that's an illegal check to the head. And I'm not saying we need to add a multiplier for a goaltender, but we do need to protect goalies. And when you think about it, their equipment is not designed to protect them 
from player body collisions like a skater's would be. So I feel like they're even more vulnerable, especially for hits up high, because you've, you've got that mask. That mask has a purpose, and it's to protect your head from the puck, not to protect your head from the shoulder of an opposing player. So I was shocked. I, I said one to two games. I would have gone with two simply because you're looking at a vulnerable goaltender. You're looking at an illegal check to the head that regardless of what his intent was, he didn't intend to do anything other than make contact <laughs> with the goaltender. And, and that's the part that gets me. The, the league says they don't penalize intent. I get that. But the intentions were clear. There was a way to avoid the collision. That path was not chosen. And even if the goaltender is out of the crease, remember, we're always reminded that it doesn't mean you get a free shot. So, yes, it seems as though further discipline would have been warranted in this area. I, I agree. I thought for sure it was going to happen. So a bit surprising, quite surprising that that it didn't. All right. In a game between the Montreal Canadiens and the Dallas Stars, things got a bit animated on a face-off late in the game. Stars forward Tyler Sagan got his stick up on Jonathan Drouin off the neutral zone draw. Montreal forward did not care for this and retaliated swiftly and severely with several rounds of stick work as the two fell to the ice. A fracas ensued. Penalties were given. Sagan, a minor for high sticking, drew in a major and a game and also a $5,000 fine from player safety. Yeah, you can't use your stick in this manner. No, and these are those types of situations that we need to try to get out of the game. It's, it's something where it's fortunate that a more severe injury didn't take place, but holy cow, it's a it's a brutal, violent move. There's no hockey benefit to it. I, I know he got the five in the game, but player safety operates independently from the on-ice officials with the call, so I wouldn't have been against a game for this one. I don't think you need more than that, but to, to send a message of cross-checking a guy from behind in the head when he's down on the ice, to me, it, it justifies more than just a fine. So to summarize, you're saying this was not a hockey play. This was not at all a hockey play. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just clarifying that. In the contest with the Washington Capitals and Winnipeg Jets, there was a collision between the Caps' Dmitry Orlov and Nikolai Ehlers of the Jets. There was no penalty called, but plenty of hard feelings about the play. Early the next morning, Orlov got word he has a hearing with player safety. And yes, he sits for two games. Uh, this is a no-brainer. This was easy, especially when you, you slow down the replay and you see that this was a deliberate knee that uh, Orlov stuck out to collect dealers. Yeah, it was. And we've seen times when a guy gets caught out of position and he shifts his weight, he moves his body, maybe he's going to miss on the body check and he adjusts accordingly and that results in a knee-on-knee -knee collision. This did not look like one of those cases. This was him sticking his knee out specifically to make contact with the leg. So I think it was the right move by player safety. I was surprised at the lack of penalty in the game because that that knee on knee shot looked brutal and, and readily apparent right away. So a little surprised there, but I think player safety did the right thing. I Unfortunately, third kneeing suspension we've seen this season, although the other two were also equally memorable, but this one was just as bad. And, you know, at that point, when you see it, you're just hoping that there's not a serious injury. Nikolai Ehlers is going to miss at least a few games, but let's hope he does come back soon. Another much-discussed topic this year has been the slew foot, and it popped up again in a game between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Los Angeles Kings. LA forward Philippe Deneau collided, knocked down Lightning forward Braden Point. Point didn't like it, grabbed him, the two danced, one thing's calmed down. Deneau got two for tripping, five for fighting. Point got two for roughing, five for fighting. 
All even, except the clickbaiters out there immediately seized upon the video to ask the inflammatory question, is this a slew foot? Well, if of course you are logging on regularly to scoutingtherefs.com and a regular listener of this podcast, you understand, no, check the rule book, it is not a slew foot by definition. However, it did receive further reprimand from player safety with a fine of $5,000 for a dangerous trip for Philip Dano. And lots of people, Todd, mock the dangerous trip. And, and we laugh about it, too, that, you know, it's not a slew foot. It's a dangerous trip. But there's a reason for that. The league has been very strict in how they apply a slew foot or how their terminology is that they're looking for the legs to be kicked out and the reverse motion of the upper body, whether it's a, a backwards push with an elbow, whether it's a pull with the arm. And they're looking at both of those. And it's a very specific move. And we'll, we'll share in that article the league's video rulebook on slew footings if people want to see examples and follow along at home and understand where the league's coming from. But they did expand what they consider a dangerous trip. So the tripping section of the rule book 57 is much larger and much more inclusive so that you don't have to meet the criteria of a slew foot in order to get fined or suspended for it because they they do look at situations that are similar but don't quite meet the definition and that's what this falls under and frankly i know people might complain but i'm glad that they're penalizing those kinds of dangerous trips because it might not fall under the slew foot definition but it is equally and sometimes even more dangerous than what could have happened if it were a slew foot Exactly right. Which Whichever you want to call it, a slew foot, a dangerous trip, whatever the, the terminology is, the league is trying to get rid of plays like this. And if you have the ability to penalize them, then that will help deter the players. So good for them for clamping down on this sort of stuff. Yeah. I, and I think, we, we like you said, we don't want to get hung up on the terminology of it. It's, it's looking at it and saying, not saying, hey, it's not a slew foot, so we can't do anything. No, we've expanded to allow for trips that might not fit the slew foot criteria, but that we still want to pursue supplemental discipline for. So you're saying don't get pissy about the terminology? No, 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 don't get pissy about it. You might get fined. <laughs> okay, one more to get into. <laughs> this, one, this one involves the Caps and the Bruins this past week. And surprisingly, an incident involving Brad Marchand. But wait, but wait. He was the victim this time. Yes. Suspend him. I'm, I'm, Suspend him. Yeah, he's a victim. Suspend him. Right. He, Marchand received a very nasty hit from behind from Capitals Garnet Hathaway. The call on the play was a penalty for interference from Kyle Raymond. No arm went up from Kendrick Nicholson, who was closer to the play. I could have and I would say should have called boarding hit from behind and a more severe penalty been ensuing. This was a nasty hit that Hathaway inflicted on Marchand. I, I thought for sure we were looking at a major, and I thought for sure we were looking at a suspension. I, I, it, it seemed like a clearly dangerous play. You had a vulnerable player who was hit into the boards in an awkward way. Uh, yet to me, Todd, I was, I was surprised. Uh, watching the game, I, I thought for sure. I said, oh, here we go. And like you mentioned, I saw Nicholson right on top of the play. He didn't even have his arm up. So at first, I'm like, well, what, what, what are we looking at here? But yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting situation, interesting in how it was called, interesting that Raymond from outside the zone was the one who blew the whistle on this. And the fact that player safety is apparently not taking any further disciplinary action here. Curious in a couple of different ways. You mentioned that it was Kyle Raymond who was outside of the zone who who made the call and there is nothing that says the referee outside the zone defers to the referee inside the zone necessarily. If you see a penalty, they they will call it. It is a bit curious 
I, I don't know the reason for for Kendrick Nicholson not putting his arm up in the air. I know he was spinning and moving and repositioning himself and maybe decided, no, I better err on the side of caution. But it 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 does it does make sense that you have two referees to see more things on the ice in this case, I guess. Yeah, and dividing up the ice is typically something that we do see out there. But you called it out exactly right that when you have an official that's moving, changing position, that their sight line might be obstructed. That's when you're looking for the other official to fill in the gap there or to make a call when he thinks his partner may have not had the best spot. In this case, Nicholson was getting out of the way and you could have had a situation where Raymond is watching the puck, watching the play at the puck because he's thinking that his partner is focused on avoiding the play, which isn't necessarily wrong. Uh, you're focusing on getting yourself out of the way. You might miss what's happening down low. So there is a division there. You know, you're, you're not looking to step on your partner's toes. Uh, you are looking to cover for them, though, when there might be something that might affect their ability to see what's happening on the ice. And the puck was gone. It was clearly an interference penalty, if you want to call it that, but it could have been uh, a more severe offense as well. But maybe again, we'll just wrap up by saying maybe again, this would be a good area for a video of explanation as to why no further action was taken. The Scouting the Refs podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with code REFS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code REFS, that's R-E-F-S. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped.